Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 100 of F Stop Collaborate and Listen. Woohoo! <laughs> this week's episode features a really, really awesome roundtable panel discussion with some of my personal favorite photographers, including David Thompson, Alex Noriega, Eric Bennett, Sarah Marino, Colleen Minix Berry, Michael Shanebloom, and Joshua Cripps. God, what a lineup. We also invited students of our featured guests to participate and ask questions of the roundtable, including Nick Stover, Carolyn Chang, Brent Clark, and Gareth Kogan. In all, we had 12 people participate in this week's episode. Wow, it's freaking awesome. Well, to celebrate the launch of episode 100, we have collaborated with some, some of our guests to offer some incredible discounts of their tutorials and products to new and all existing patrons of the podcast over on Patreon. From March 20th through April 30th, 2019, new and existing patrons will receive the following discounts. Number one, 20% off Alex Noriega processing tutorial videos which is only good for videos released prior to March 2019. And uh, just so you know, I'm pretty sure he's about to release an amazing video and have a 48-hour sale on that video, so keep your eye out for that. Uh, 20% off Michael Shanebloom processing tutorial videos. 20% off Eric Bennett instructional videos. 20% off Joshua Cripps photography tutorials and 20% off uh, Sarah Marino and Ron Coscarosa's Nature Photo Guides eBooks. To get these discounts, all you have to do is sign up as a patron for the podcast on Patreon at the $5 a month level or higher before April 30th, 2019. Your discount codes will be revealed after you sign up. So awesome incentive. And uh, it's a great way to support our podcast guests, and it's a great way for you guys to get something really cool out of supporting the the podcast, other than the feeling good of supporting the podcast. So thank you. I also wanted to let you know about another offer that is only available to podcast listeners. One of our podcast patrons, Jason Matias, has launched his The Art of Selling Art program, but he closed it down to the public so you can't get in except for podcast listeners because he's that awesome there will be a link in the liner notes for you to join his program after he's closed it down which will connect you with other artists that are super passionate about effectively monetizing their artwork seriously there's like a billion benefits to joining his service and i don't have time to talk about all of them but totally rest assured it is one of the best things you can do to promote yourself as an artist trust me so join up oh no yeah it significantly helps the podcast financially if you do so thanks in advance well special thanks to our amazing patreon supporters and podcast producers these incredible individuals contribute at the 20 dollars a month level and higher on our patreon page and they include michael howard perry shalat jack curran eric stensland chris rice jeff peterson charlotte gibb Jason Matias, Anton Everine, Lori Berenson, Roger Nadell, William Nurse, Ken Dono, Danny LeFrancois, James Bacavoy, Richard Wong, and 
Matthias at Photo Magica. All right, let's get to the show. All right, well, welcome to episode 100 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. We have lots of guests. We have David Thompson and Colleen Minnix-Berry and Alex Noriega, Michael Shanebloom, Josh Cripps, Eric Bennett, Sarah Marino. And we have some guests that have been invited, including Gareth Kogan and Carolyn Chang and Brent Clark and Nick Stover. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hey, thanks hey, for joining us. Thanks, Matt. Hi, Matt. <laughs> All right, so this is a packed house, and uh, I want to just kind of just get right off to the bat. So the first question I have, and I'm going to direct it to David Thompson and Eric Bennett. Uh, how, how have things been since we last talked, and have you noticed any shifts in the landscape photography community as it relates to the topics that have emerged here on the podcast? You can go first, DT. All right, cool. Um, <laughs> everything is going good over here, Matt. No complaints. Still loving what I do. As far as the uh, the question at hand, I think that uh, the 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 whole atmosphere is is starting to change or getting worse as the days go by with social media. <laughs> um, it's uh, it seems like it's 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 getting to be more of the copy and paste kind of shooting. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of creativity going into the uh, the process of image making. Would you agree, Eric? Um, yeah, I'd say so. Seems like a lot of people are kind of just doing the same thing and uh, less and less people are kind of uh, motivated or I don't know, they, maybe they just don't trust themselves enough to like do their own thing. I feel like back when I first started, everyone was kind of like trying to make their mark and like trying to be unique. And that was really cool because we'd feed off each other's ideas and everything. But I don't know, lately it just feels like it's more and more difficult to find uh, work that speaks to me personally. I barely use Instagram or Facebook or anything anymore because honestly, just like 90% of the stuff just doesn't move me at all. So um, I haven't been as motivated to go out and look at people's work. I've actually been going and like looking on websites of more old school photographers that don't even shoot digital. And uh, that's because like, that's the stuff that's inspiring me. The new stuff, like David said, it just seems to be kind of the same old stuff, like the same shot, different place, or even the same place, same shot. So it's kind of crazy. What would you guys say is the solution to that problem that you've identified? I'll go on and answer that, Eric. I I think that at some point in time, and, you know, I guess it's kind of, you kind of generalize these, you know, these, these answers and, you know, I don't want, you know, people out there to listen to this and get offended, but at some point in time during your, your journey, you have to become an individual in some kind of capacity and go for that work that moves you. Don't necessarily shoot stuff that's going to get you the likes and all the praise. Reach outside of that, go a little bit further, step outside of your comfort zone, step outside of the box and, and, you know, try something completely different. Take a risk. Challenge yourself. You know, I, I tell people all the time, and Carolyn could add to this, is, you know, I've stressed to her over the years to, you know, just try to look at stuff a little bit different. And when you look at 
the, 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 the bigger picture or the, the bigger landscape and you break it down to whether it be a small intimate scene or, you know, this long, this long range scene that you're shooting with the long, long lens, don't be afraid to, to, to be different. And I just feel like there's so many people out there are just so afraid to, you know, be something different and go outside of the norm mm-hmm. for, you know, whatever reason it may be. Uh, Colleen, I see you have raised your hand. So what do you, what do you want to add to that? Yeah, so I just sort of key off of what he said. You know, I, I think part of the problem is is that people are, are trying to get the likes and they're trying to get attention and things like that. But when we talk about people trying to be different, one of the things that I encourage um, in my workshops and whatnot is um, for people to stop trying so hard. People, by the very nature of their birth, are already different. We all have different likes. We have different experiences. We have different things that get us excited. We have different interests. And I think it's just a matter of pouring that into our work and sort of being fearless. Um, and like like has been said already, you know, sort of releasing those expectations, not just society, but also societal, but also your own, um, and just be who you are, um, exactly who you are. And and I think that's sort of the direction I hope that landscape photography starts going. Yeah, I like that. It's interesting. I I personally spent probably the last year really trying to do that myself, and it's a lot harder than it sounds. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, I'll add on to that, Matt. You know, it's something that you're not going to do and learn overnight. It just doesn't it just doesn't happen like that. It's it's a it's a process. It's called a, a journey for for a reason. And sometimes it, it, it just kind of, sometimes it just clicks, sometimes it doesn't. But that's, that's what kind of keeps me motivated is to, to keep trying those different things. And, you know, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, but at least I tried. And I think that, I feel like if people would do that, their work would become more meaningful to them. And it just won't be about the likes or the acceptance and the praise and whatever else. Uh, Eric, go ahead. Yeah. And uh, like David just said, it's it doesn't happen overnight. It definitely takes a lot of time and a lot of work, but that's what makes it worthwhile. Like everyone always says, you know, nothing worthwhile comes easily or quickly. Like everything that is worth doing takes a long time. And that's why it's so cool because it's a journey. It's not there's no destination or any point where you arrive there and then you're done and there's no more to no more room to progress or anything like that. And I think a lot of people are really narrow minded in that aspect where they think like, you know, they have this idea in mind of where they want to get to. And then they think that there's nothing after that instead of like continually trying to progress and continually trying to get out of their comfort zone and leave their little creative box that they've kind of made up for themselves and just try different things. Awesome. Well, I have a kind of a follow-up question that's related to, to to kind of what you guys are talking about, and I'm going to direct it to uh, Alex Noriega and uh, Josh Cripps and Sarah Marino. And basically the question is, how would you rate the current state of creativity in landscape photography? Um, we see a lot of people copying other photographers or taking the same photographs that have already been taken before. And um, as a segue to that, I, I saw a recent post from Guy Tal uh, where he said, it is not your fault if your art fails to satisfy some people. It is your fault if you compromise your art to satisfy, satisfy these people. So go ahead, Alex. <laughs> All right. Um, well, to touch on where David and Eric and Colleen were a minute ago, uh, David mentioned a little bit about taking risks. And I think it 
bears mentioning that in order to find something unique or make create uh, creative or unique photographs that are meaningful to you, you do have to take a risk in using, say, an outing or a sunset or a weekend or whatever time you have to get out, using that to look for something rather than getting that guaranteed shot. And so I think that plays into why uh, people are afraid to uh, find their own images. As far as a state of creativity, I mean, I think they already hit on that. I don't think that that's a sweeping statement that applies to everything. I mean, there are certainly a lot of people doing creative work out there, great work. But I do see more and more of like the, just this overarching style of processing and this uh, compositional style and like the same locations will get hot at the same time. Like people will be going to the same place for a couple of years and then they'll all move on to the next place and you won't see as many photos of that previous place. Uh, it's just kind of like everyone is doing what everyone else is doing because that's what they think they're supposed to do. So I would say overall, I mean, there are people innovating and there are also a lot of people that aren't being very creative or letting themselves get outside that box. Yeah, real quick. Uh, I just want to ask everyone here, like, what do you think the hot spot is right now currently that you see like everybody going to and like just seeing <laughs> the same images over and over coming out of there? For me, it's the pharaohs. The pharaohs? The pharaoh islands. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pharaoh islands. Yeah. Death Valley. As much as I yeah. love Death Valley, it seems like <laughs> uh, just looking through the front page on Instagram today or the first couple posts on Instagram today, they were almost all the mesquite dunes. Mm-hmm. Or the mud cracks, like wide cracks angle, low to the ground, yeah. shooting into the sun. So what? Why do you think that is? Like, I feel like it. There's a lot of people out there out there that are just creating derivative. It's redundant. work that's not. Yeah, and what? But what is driving that? It probably goes back to that social media, like the desire for acceptance and likes, and maybe some of them want to make a business out of it or want to make photography their job. So they see this as a way to build a portfolio like okay these are the spots i should have so i need to go and collect all of them for my portfolio so i can sell workshops or something but it really just seems like social media drives it all i mean a lot of people they find these shots on social media they think okay if i want this kind of uh commentary and these likes i need to go make something like that i'm guessing but it seems like that drives it Mm -hmm. yeah like for example when i think of death valley like at least when i first started seeing images of it it was like pictures from alex and colleen and sarah and david and other guys that you know like unique locations that they were exploring or places that other people have shot but they're shot in different ways so then when they posted these images everyone got excited and you know, they get comments and likes and everything. And then just like Alex said, I think people see like that success and they want to replicate it. So they say like, if this person did it this way and this happened, if I do the same thing, then I'll have the same results. So it's kind of like an easy way to get attention or yeah, that's the only kind of motivation that I could really think of. Like you want the same kind of attention that that person got for doing what they did. And I think it's cool to be inspired by those photographs and want to go to those places because of that. But why not try to put on your own personal twist? Like Colleen said, we're all so different just by nature. If you just go with the flow and go with your intuition and what's moving you and what's appealing to you in the moment that you're there, you're going to come back with something different. Mm-hmm. Well, in relation to the quote that you included from Guy Tal about it is not your fault if your art fails to satisfy some people, it is your fault if you compromise your art to satisfy these people. 
And at least for my own photographic practice, I think one of the most helpful things that I've done is Cole Thompson's practice of photographic celibacy, which essentially means not spending time with other people's photographs, uh, spending time with your own photographs and your own vision and your own view on a place. Uh, so I've really curtailed my use of social media over the last couple of years and have really been focused on trying to find myself and my own voice. So I follow people that I know, friends who I want to keep in touch with and want to see what they're doing with their photography. But this practice of really not spending a lot of time looking at other people's work has helped me open my eyes to my to what I want to do with my own creative energy and my own photography. Um, so when I think about creativity, that particular practice, I think, has been the most important thing for my own uh, personal expression and finding what creativity means for me. And I know a lot of people really disagree with this whole concept because I've brought this idea of photographic celibacy up to others. Um, and again, Cole Thompson, who's a Colorado-based uh, black and white photographer, deserves all the credit for this idea. But it does seem like there's a lot of disagreement around this concept. But at least for me, it's made a tremendous difference in my self-confidence and my ability to express what I want to express through my own work. Yeah, I actually just wrote an article for NPN about that, and I followed Cole's practice when I went to Iceland, and it helped me a lot. So I know, Colleen, you're next. What do you have to say? Yeah, so I'll preface it with to each their own, and whatever helps you get to you know, the next step in your journey, more power to you, but I'm exactly the opposite way. Um, Creative experts actually agree that there is a creative process. They don't understand how the aha moment comes together, but they do know how to feed it. And the very first step is preparation. And you're supposed to be feeding your brain with knowledge and ideas of, of things that inspire you. And it's not just photography it's, it's everything. It's books, it's movies, it's what you ate for lunch. It's, it's literally life. And so I think the problem, uh, at least how I can get around this, um, sort of the expectations and trying to copy other people is when I look at Facebook or I look at social media, I'm looking for things that inspire me. I'm not, I'm, I'm looking to find, you know, why, uh, sort of reverse engineer why people did what they did and what decisions they may have made at the time, given the variables that they had. So um, actually in my, in my creative journey, my creative process, I spend almost all of my time as a photographer trying to increase um, the amount of information that I feed my brain. Um, and so I'm, I'm, like on the other side of the spectrum with this. And I think, again, like to each their own, everybody's got to find their way and what works for them. But um, it, it's, I think I would just end up in a box and like curl in a fetal position or something. <laughs> but <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, there's so many things that are, are inspirational out there. And I know we're talking about sort of this iconic and the trophy thing, but there, there is an amazing amount of inspiration. There's an amazing amount of great things going on right now, not just in photography, but otherwise. And I, I feel like it's our job as photographers to go out and find that inspiration and find those ideas to feed that creative process. Uh, David, I think you're next. Yeah, I just want to add on to um, what Sarah said. Um, it's funny because I, I remember probably like maybe a year and a half ago when I first heard about the thought of not really looking at anybody's images to really, you know, get any kind of inspiration or, you know, to come up with your own idea on certain things. I kind of just frowned upon it, but I would say within the last eight months, I 
have found myself looking at less and less of people's work. And as Sarah said, looking at people, people's work that I really, really enjoy. And I know that I'm going to get a fresh, unique look at something different. And it doesn't necessarily have to be totally epic or anything like that, but just something different just to get my, my mind uh, thinking about you know other things. And it kind of goes into what Colleen said as well, is that there is a lot of inspiration out there in, in, in other areas besides photography. But again, I am uh, finding myself looking more and more or less and less at uh, people's, people's work. Yeah. <clears throat> Sarah, I think you were next. Yeah. So in response to what Colleen said, I think all of those ideas about like feeding your creativity and finding your inspiration. So I've just moved away from finding inspiration in other people's photos. So I think that there, for me, like learning about botany and learning about all the places that I visit and geology and reading books and looking at paintings and spending time in nature, like that's for me, been the thing that's fed me and my creative energy a lot more than looking at other people's photos. Uh, because I've, at least I found that I'm, I have a hard time getting those ideas out of my mind. So if I see something that somebody else has created and then I visit that same place, those ideas cloud my ability to see my own vision, I think. So I, I love all the concepts that Colleen shared about really feeding your creativity by looking for inspiration in all sorts of different places. But for me, like getting other people's photos out of my head has been really important. So I just want to clarify that I don't disagree at all with like the feeding your creative energy idea. It's just the specific role of spending a lot of time with other people's photos that for me has been that important change. Okay. Well, maybe to like flip it upside down, um, I'm going to ask a question for for Josh and for Michael, and then other people can also chime in. Who influences influences you the most, and why? <laughs> Josh, you want to go first, or should I go first? Yeah, let me jump in because I actually have to leave in about three minutes. You know, I think this uh, sounds a little weird. It's not meant to sound pretentious or anything, but I would say that I am my own greatest influence. Um, historically, that's not the case. I love looking at other photographers' work, especially when I can't do something and I want to learn how to do it better. I love looking at other photographers or videographers who are doing things that I can't do. But as I find uh, I'm maturing as my own artist, I find that the ideas come from within. Um, I'll go out and I'll try something and just the process of photographing gives me 10 more ideas either for 10 different photos or for uh, a new technique to try or a new this or a new that. It's just that process of discovery, which fuels more discovery and more creation. So for me, that's really what it's all about is, is the creative process because that's what generates a lot of ideas as opposed to uh, not necessarily uh, – I love looking at other photographers' photos, but I don't necessarily – look at them for, uh, Oh, I wonder how they did that technique or I wonder that where, uh, or how they took that or, or what their ideas were around creating this composition. It's mostly just the enjoyment, the aesthetics uh, of like listening to a really good song. It doesn't necessarily make me want to go out and create music. I just enjoy the process of it. But the creation part comes simply from the creation part itself. If that makes sense. It make, yeah, it makes sense to me, especially if, if you're out in the field and, 
and your goal is just to create and you're not trying to recreate, I feel like that may be the, the difference for some people. Thanks, Josh. Uh, Michael? Yeah, I'm actually, I'm pretty similar. Um, I mean, when I first got started with photography, I, I was pretty young and I don't, I didn't really have access to see a bunch of different types of photography. I mean, you know, social media wasn't around and, um, it was really just wanting to try something new, just keep creating, you know, and just create as much as possible. And then I kind of just fell in love with it through that. And when I was taking images, I mean, there wasn't, I didn't really have a reference of, of what else was out there. I just wanted to take pictures and I don't know, I guess over the years with social media, there, there have been things that people have done that have inspired me, but I mean, there's almost too many names to mention of, of just, you know, the incredible photographers and artists that are out there. I've been influenced a lot by people outside of photography as well, mm. like different filmmakers and painters mm. and, you know, I mean, pretty much all things and kind of going back to what Josh said, it's definitely been, I would say more the experience that's sort of inspired my work. I mean, here's kind of a good example. And this maybe ties back a little bit into the previous question. Um, sometimes looking at other photographs or getting somebody else's opinion on a place actually uninspires me at least. Um, like for example, I, you know, I was going, I, I just got back from New Zealand and um, I, I wanted to see Milford Sound for myself because I had heard some incredible things. Um, but then I had also heard some people say, oh, well, you know, it's just this overshot place, and, you know, it's just overshot. <laughs> um, and I, I hear that a lot with, with different places. Oh, it's just overshot. I, I don't want to go there. Um, and, and I, you know, sometimes it, it gets stuck in my mind like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't go there. Other photographers have done it. What am I going to go and do there? And, you know, I realized Milford Sound, I mean, I've, I've seen the same view over and over and over again and through social media. And so it got stuck in my head like, oh, I'm just going to go see it and experience it for myself because it's a place that I've always wanted to see. But I, I kind of almost had the intention, well, I don't know. I don't even know if I'm going to shoot it. And I went there and it was one of the most incredible places I've ever been. It was incredible. I felt so inspired looking every single corner at different compositions, you know, telephoto shots, abstract shots, just all different possibilities beyond what I've seen <laughs> on social media. The, you know, what I've seen as the, I guess you could say the, the trophy shot that, that everyone wants. And it really was just the experience and going to different places and going on these little hikes and finding my own stuff that. I felt inspired by the things that made me happy and the things that I ultimately wanted to make my art out of um, these little compositions. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. It's, it's just, I go on a trip and I try new things. Oftentimes they don't work. Usually maybe they don't work. Uh, but you know, you just keep going after it and kind of finding your own, your own photographs and your own art. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you want to say, Eric? Yeah, that was really great, Michael. And that just uh, reminded me of something that I wrote about a little while ago that you don't necessarily need to go to a never before seen location in order to create a never before seen image. And I think another part of this that's happening is people uh, that do want to create something new, they think they have to find a completely new place. So then they're kind of going off of trails or they're trampling vegetation or they're destroying stuff or 
hopping fences that are put there to protect certain places in order to get a new shot and stand out that way. But that's not necessarily the right answer either. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alex? Yeah, I just wanted to add on to what Eric said. Uh, I feel like whenever this conversation comes up about not shooting icons or not chasing trophies, um, the a counter argument is that, well, these places are amazing. You know, why shouldn't I experience them? Uh, why shouldn't I shoot them? It's not that we're saying you need to find a new location or that anyone's saying anyone should do anything. But as a suggestion, rather than going to a location that's iconic to shoot a specific iconic shot, why not look for something else there? Like it is an amazing place, but there are probably way more shots to be had that aren't quote unquote the shot. And then kind of in that same vein, you don't need to go that far to find your own shots. You don't need to hike 20 miles or go to some crazy wild place. Like I found some of my favorite shots just right by the trail and things that people walk by in, in order to get the shot they're walking right by potential other shots. So I would just say that anyone can do it. You know, like it's not, you don't have to have your entire life to dedicate to photography. You can still do it if you're a, a weekend warrior, so to speak. Um, and you can do it anywhere. Yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that because, uh, I feel like <laughs> I look back at some of the locations I've visited over the years and I feel like I wasted a lot of time passing by some amazing scenes cause I was trying to chase a very specific image that I had in my head. And I feel like that tunnel vision can hurt your creativity as a, as a photographer. So I, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And just one more thing, that's sort of like the, uh, it kind of plays into the photographic celibacy a little bit in that even if you're looking at other photos, at least don't think of that as the thing that you're looking for. I think, I think my photography has improved a lot just by not having any expectations. And this is something Sarah's written about too, just kind of wandering around and finding shots or letting them find me, like not, not going after one specific thing. Cause then you're missing a lot of other things you're not open to. Yeah. Uh, Michael. Yeah. And just to add on to that, I mean, it goes back to why did we all start taking pictures in the first place, right? I mean, did we all start taking pictures to appease other people and to get some sort of praise? Or did we all get into it because it's like our favorite thing to do? It's it's the thing that we're all passionate about. I mean, every single person in this chat and many others, it's like all we can think about is photography. We just want to go out and shoot, shoot and create. And yeah, at the end of the day, I mean... As long as somebody has that passion and they have that mindset, I think they can, you know, be really creative and create some cool stuff. Yeah, I'd be curious um, for the for the people, I guess the kind of workshop uh, mentees that have joined the podcast, Gareth and Carolyn and Nick. What? How have you struggled with this in your kind of early journey? And sorry, I keep missing you, Brent, for some reason. But how have you kind of struggled with this in your own journey as a photographer? And where kind of where do you land in this as maybe someone who's a little bit newer to landscape photography? And go for it, Nick. Yeah, I get that. I was actually writing about this as you guys were talking. And uh, I think part of it is people want to go to somewhere they've heard of and have others have heard of as kind of an initial thing. So like going to going to death Valley is a place that, that people have heard of and it's more relatable and, and it's also, it's where it's easy, you know, it's established infrastructure. You don't have to put a lot of time and effort and thinking. 
Um, so I found myself like going to Page, Arizona for the first time and, and going to like Horseshoe Bend. And like, I want, you know, I wanted to see that for myself, similar to what Michael talked about with Milford. And I got the, I got the stereotypical benchmark 14 millimeter wide shot of the whole Canyon, the whole 180, 270, 180, whatever. Um, and what I started to notice in my work is over time, I was able to then benchmark my shots compared to what other people had shot from that area and, and really started to improve, refine and develop kind of my own style um, going forward. And so I think that was where for some of these, you know, going to some of these iconic places for my early photography was, was a good exercise for me to be able to bench. The other part of it is um, if, for me selling some of my print work uh, through local galleries is, you know, I've been to Greenland and I've sold a couple, only a couple prints from Greenland, but my Yosemite pictures sell like crazy because people have been there and everything else. So there is <laughs> a little bit of a balance if you're choosing to sell some work kind of more locally or, you know, to businesses, et cetera, I've found, but the creative stuff, which you guys talk about, which is why you guys are the visionary masters, what you're talking about is huge. And I think is huge inspiration. So that's kind of my, my take mm -hmm. on it. Uh, what about you, uh, Brent? Uh, hey, man, I think I've followed a fairly similar path to you, at least from what I've heard you talk about lately. Um, certainly started out shooting icons um, as, I don't know, it was fun. It was a great learning tool. Uh, like there's definitely been a, a difference in just like seeing an iconic composition on your computer screen versus actually being in the field and looking around 360 <laughs> and and seeing how that shot came to be. So like, it's a great learning tool for me personally. Uh, at this point, it's, it's not like I hate them, but I just feel nothing about them. I have no, I have no interest in them. And I'm, I'm personally trying to learn how to, you know, find my own vision, find unique things and like isolate the details that interest me more. Mm -hmm. So I just yeah. kind of feel like I grew out of it. I think a lot of people do that too. As time yeah. goes on. <laughs> Uh, what about you, Gareth? Uh, yeah, so I've followed the same pretty much. I've, I've done and I sometimes still look at these I iconic locations and think, yeah, it'd be cool to go there and do that. And I've definitely done it in the past. I'll, the example I always go back to is that, that tree in New Zealand, the Wanaka tree. <laughs> um, <laughs> after being there, I can't understand what all the fuss is about. And I don't know if anyone else has been there, but... The, the hordes of people there um, have just turned me off ever wanting to go back to it. But also I went and experienced it, but some of these locations aren't all what they're cracked up to be. That's my feeling on it. Okay, cool. And what about you, uh, Carolyn? Yeah, um, I think on one of my very first workshops, you know, you travel very far, you're spending a lot of money and you feel like you want to leave with a really good photo. So I think um, in the early days in larger groups, there's this sort of sense of panic, like, oh my gosh, you know, I've got to get the shot. So I think in my early days, that's kind of what happened. Um, but I mean, over the course of time, just in terms of my background, I've come to photography through travel. And I've always kind of enjoyed going to like weirdly wonderful places, things that are different from home. And in photography, that's what really appeals to me, kind of the surreal and things that are different. It's just I think drawing a little bit on what Colleen said, you know, I think your photography really represents who you are as an individual. Um, and I found over time, you know, that's really where I've just gravitated to. And a lot of what I like to shoot is more intimates and abstracts. Um, 
And David kind of always laughs at me because the things that give me the most joy are when I say, oh my gosh, I see this pattern or I recognize this. And it's very personal to me. Um, so I think I've just gravitated towards that. And um, I really enjoy aerial photography. And so it's also a really instinctual um, and innate experience because there's not a lot of time to think. So I really enjoy that because it frees me up from you know all the overthinking and you just kind of shoot what is um, what appeals to you. And so it's a highly personal experience. So, um, you know, I think there is an evolution for everybody and everybody finds their journey a little bit differently. Um, but certainly for creative satisfaction, it's about, you know, what, what, um, you relate to. Yeah, absolutely. Michael, did you have something you wanted to add on? Oh, it's funny. Uh, <laughs> I went to Wanaka tree too. Uh, and, and it is kind of hilarious just the line of people kind of all standing in the same spot, you know, any time of day you go there, but I'm not going to lie. I still had fun there too. Uh, I mean, I was just messing around with like some abstract video clips and photos. I don't even know if I got like an actual landscape photo of the tree itself, but I don't know. I feel like in any situation you can find positive things. I don't know. You could, I feel like you can find positive things in any situation and, I'm not going to lie, even at Wanaka Tree, I was having a good time just shooting these like little bits of light reflecting off the water and I was shooting the reflection of the tree in the water too. And so, yeah, I just wanted to add that. It's kind of <laughs> kind of late, but. Uh, Alex? Oh yeah, I just wanted to say uh, a little bit on what Carolyn was talking about, about finding something like your own little, you found your own little pattern or something that spoke to you. Uh, one of the things that I really like about my favorite photographs is that they're mine and mine alone because I was there for that moment and I found that little thing and it just feels like my little slice of the world. Like I think about a photo of mine of like ferns on the floor in uh, Olympic national park and uh, TJ Thorne and Ted Gore were with me and they just hiked ahead and I found this thing by the side of the trail and like, I feel like I'd value it a little less if we had all shot it, (laughs) but I, and it's not, like I'm greedy. I just feel like, Oh, that's mine. I I like that. You know, only I saw that and spent time with that. And then it probably all changed by the next year. And there's value in that for me anyway. No, I totally, totally appreciate that. I I like that a lot. Well, so we have a a question uh, from one of our listeners, Bruno Pisani, who's also a great photographer and rapper. (laughs) How do each of you, and this, this question is, I guess I'm going to direct it to David Sarah and Alex, how do you imagine uh, landscape <clears throat> photography in 10 years? Oh, boy. Um, I think that it's only going to continue to get bigger and bigger. And it's going to be everywhere. It, it already is. I mean, all across the world, state to state, country to country. It's a it's a growing trend. And it's only going to get bigger. There's going to be more people out there shooting. It's going to be harder to find that, that piece of uh, solitude. I guess, if you will, national parks are going to continue to be overcrowded like they are now. It's just it's just only going to get worse. Um, and I'm not you know, saying that's a bad thing. It's, it's good. But I think that in the pursuit of an artist, I think it's going to be a little more challenging and going to cause, you know, more people to have to think outside of the box and continue to come up with uh, different stuff and different ideas and different places to, to shoot. Yeah. Uh, Alex or, or Sarah? Yeah, well, I would definitely agree with David about the the pressure on our wild places, that that seems like the biggest negative 
Like when you think about what does landscape photography look like in 10 years, I think that's the thing that worries me the most is that the the things and the places that we love the most are under so much pressure. And if this field continues to increase in popularity, the wild places, especially in the Western United States and some other really popular areas, are what, will they be damaged beyond recognition? Uh, on the positive side, and I know that a lot of people, or I'll just, I'll just say I'm excited about the gear side of things that the idea of being able to focus stack inside your camera, like with the new Nikon D850, which I don't use, but like the idea of, of being able to do that kind of thing in the field or other technological innovations that open up real possibilities for creating photographs that you couldn't create even a couple of years ago, that the technology side of things is super exciting uh, just because it really could open up some new creative mm. opportunities. Yeah, I'm excited for the jetpacks. <laughs> or like hovering tripods, like drones. Yeah, no, more, a, no more hiking. <laughs> like a drone, the fact that it's like a hovering tripod is amazing. Yeah. It's almost as quiet as a tripod, too. <laughs> yeah, we could get silent drones. That would be fantastic. Yeah, I'd be. Uh, I would be much more likely to use a drone if they weren't so obnoxious. <laughs> uh, Alex. Yeah, I just wanted to add to the the overcrowding and overuse of our public lands uh, argument. I do agree that it's a problem, a big problem in some areas. But I feel like as as time goes on, there's going to be even more of a divide between the overcrowded place, like say Zion National Park right now is kind of a zoo and places that are completely untrammeled. And I think the reason is because going back to like the first couple of questions, uh, people don't, or at least those that are searching for those trophy shots, they don't want to look any farther than the pre-prescribed uh, places, so to speak. So I think a lot of places are going to get worse and worse and a lot of places are going to remain untouched because people don't want to explore and they don't really care about the area and don't really spend time there. They're just there to get the shot for Instagram or whatever and, and move on. So some places will get worse and some, you know, if you're willing to look, I think you will always be able to find solitude out there. Mm -hmm. uh, David. Yeah. I want to add on to what Alex was saying. He's right about, um, you know, people aren't going to do the legwork and the research to go out and explore some of these wilderness places. It is good that there are places out there that you can still visit and not see a soul in sight. And Matt, you're familiar with some of those places in, in the Southwest. But uh, those will be the places that I think that I will be visiting in the future. Just, you know, more wilderness areas and, you know, places where I don't see another soul for days. Yeah, I... I feel kind of embarrassed because I've actually never photographed in Utah, really. And I'm actually going there for the first time in a couple of weeks. And uh, so I bought a uh, one of those Garmin Gazetteers and I've been looking at it. And I was like, oh, my God, there's a lot of stuff in Utah. Not not to single it out, but no, there's, there's nothing here, man. It's hideous. Don't come here. <laughs> um, Colleen, what, what, were, what did you want to add? Yeah, I think. I think when we look at the future of, of landscape photography um, and, the, and the idea of overcrowding in certain locations, um, I, I don't know if it's going to happen, but what I hope to see is less of a reliance by photographers specifically 
um, on external conditions. And that means place, that means lighting, that means seasons, that means, you know, night sky, things like that. I think what we've been taught, at least in my world, we've been taught that the way you express yourself is you go to a pretty location, you wait for pretty light, and, you know, you follow the rule of thirds. And so if we can somehow shift the focus away from this idea that a great photograph is dependent upon external factors like like place and and shift it into a great photograph as an inward an outward expression of what a photographer deemed meaningful um you know several folks were talking about how they found little scenes that excited them like that's it like that's for me that's how i practice my photography that's how i I, that's how I teach. That's how I hope to inspire other people. And I feel like if we can, if we can move people into that more internalized space of creativity, I feel like we might have a chance at, at saving some of these places. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other factors going on, like overpopulation and other things, but I feel like as photographers, we can at least influence that. Yeah. I think it's interesting. You talk about location. Um, for me personally, the reason why I got into photography was because of the locations that I found myself visiting. Uh, uh, for me, like the high mountains of Colorado, those those places to me mean mean a lot to me personally, and and, and it's a big part of who I am as a as a person, at first and foremost, and then secondary as a photographer. So, I I love I love what you said. Uh, it's just I feel like for some people, it's it's hard to decouple location from process. Sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, when I first started, I was trying to escape a cube in an office. So I just wanted to be out. I sure. just wanted to be outside. It actually didn't matter where it could have been my backyard. It could have been anywhere. I just, I just needed air. Right. So, right. Um, but yeah, there is, there is this decoupling that has to happen. There is a separation and, and don't get me wrong. The external factors are important. I mean, you know, you, you want to stand in front of something that interests you and excites you. And that, that means that you have deemed it significant, that you've deemed it beautiful. You've deemed it something. Um, but that label should be yours and yours alone, as opposed to everybody's been told that Horseshoe Bend is a fabulous place. And it is, it's, it's amazing if you've never seen it before. Um, but there are, there are acres upon acres upon acres upon acres of land, um, and places, um, out there where you can be equally as successful and equally as expressive and have a true, truly meaningful life experience, not just photography. Um, you know, I don't have a line. I don't really have a separation between photography and life. It's sort of the whole, like, it just sort of fits in the whole thing. So fits together. So right. I, I feel like people, instead of focusing on place, should focus more on experience. Mm. Um, and I think that would help. Yeah. Alex. Well, Colleen pretty much summed it up, but I just totally agree that um, location is not equivalent to the photograph and location isn't how you get a photograph that's meaningful to you unless you're talking about being really inspired by the place that you are. But I think that's a different thing than like going to a location because it's the prescribed place to get an epic photo. And uh, I think Colleen has a really optimistic view on it. And that'd be amazing if, if more people would realize that. But I also find it hard to believe that in 10 years we'll be in a better place as far as that goes. Um, just seeing the way that Instagram's going and just everyone going to the same places to get the same shots. I, I don't know how we'd get that across. And then to what Sarah was saying about gear, um, I think it's pretty cool that like 
she said you're going to be able to do focus stacking on the D850, like more and more things you're going to be able to do more easily because of the technology. And that's really just going to make the separation between uh, interesting and wrote photographs uh, more about the creativity. Because before, maybe someone would be held back by not knowing how to focus stack or not knowing how to do a certain processing technique or how to blend exposures. And as that gets easier, then it just, the creativity is the only thing that separates the photos. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I think uh, Brent has a has a question based on what was what we we're talking about. Uh, yeah, Colleen mentioned experience and uh, I've, you know, read a lot and listened to a lot of uh, people talk about having a meaningful experience out in nature first rather than searching for photographs, then channeling that experience into making a meaningful photograph. So I'm I'm wondering like if you subscribe to that kind of thinking like what are those experiences actually like like what are some attributes of those experiences that you turn into meaningful photographs and yeah. maybe clean would be a good place to start yeah i can i can take that um uh, one of the examples that i use um frequently is um i was out in acadia as an artist in residence and it it was in 2013 it was in the winter january february of 13 i can't remember the exact date but a blizzard came through uh, winter storm nemo came through and um, i'm from arizona um, so <laughs> i don't i don't understand all of that um, blizzard snow kind of stuff so i was eating my oatmeal in in my studio apartment and i was sort of watching the blizzard you know do its thing and i was sitting there going you know i don't the Wabanaki Indians who were here thousands of years before, hundreds of years before I was, they didn't have heat. They weren't worried about electricity when these blizzards would blow through the, the Northeast. And so I decided that I wanted to actually be in the blizzard. I had to be in it, not sitting there eating my oatmeal in it. And so I got dressed, got all my clothes on, got my rain gear on, and I walked out to a place called Scudic Point. And at the point, about five to 10 miles offshore, they me they measured the winds blowing at about 85 miles an hour. So this thing was howling. So I walk out there and I'm getting knocked down. I'm getting knocked down. I'm getting knocked down. And I'm sitting on my butt. And one day I just look up and I look at these trees and I start thinking to myself, these trees, these trees have been through this blizzard thing, like, a million times like this is no big deal for them and I can't even stand up and so um, I I admired these trees for example I actually titled the photograph before I snapped it I called it the fight before the fight of oh something about fight of of the fury and um, I can't remember the exact title but it was fight of the fury and I basically picked the camera up and snapped a photograph of those trees with the, you know, the snow blowing around and it was sort of um, just, yeah, it was just sort of crazy. And so that was it, the reason I bring that one up and it, it, it's, it's so vivid is that was really the first time that I had ever photographed an experience. Um, I had up to that point been doing a lot of icon work. I've been chasing, you know, the classic scenes and whatnot, but that was the first time where I went out. I deliberately was, was not out to photograph. Someone talked earlier, it might've been Alex about releasing expectations. I just went out just to see what it would be like. And then the photograph sort of materialized from the experience. So, uh, you know, I have, this is how I practice my work now. So I have a bunch of different examples, but that's, that's really the first and the most profound for me thus far, if that helps. Yeah. Uh, uh, Eric, I think you have something to say. 
Yeah. Um, an experience I had last year just came to mind, uh, last November, it was like pretty much the end of the fall season in the desert here in Southern Utah. So, uh, no one was really out shooting anymore, but, um, me and my wife, we had a week of vacation where she didn't have to work. So we decided to go backpacking in Escalante and I brought my camera and stuff. But the important thing here is I didn't have like any kind of preconceived, uh, photographs or ideas in my mind. We just wanted to get into nature and slow down and not use any technology or anything for a while. And so we just wanted to disconnect and we ended up backpacking in this Canyon in this slot Canyon for six days, like just walking back and forth through the Canyon. And it was just beautiful. And like, I couldn't have planned it out, but throughout the whole Canyon, like there were still tons of leaves and all the cottonwood trees and, that ended up being like the most productive week I've ever had in photography. And I released one gallery already of just like all these abstracts of ice and leaves and all these crazy puddles with oils and leaves and stuff like that. And I still have more images from that trip that I haven't released, but the main thing to take away is, or at least that I took away personally is it feels like the best images I have have just been kind of happenstance and not planned out. And more times than not, when I try to plan images out, I either don't get what I try to do and I come back disappointed because I feel like I failed or I kind of get something good and I force it and try to make it work. And then it's just not uh, it's just not going to go in my portfolio because it just doesn't feel it it just it just feels too forced and it's just not uh, it's not going to be moving to anybody or to myself. That's funny. I have a very similar story from a couple of years ago I went backpacking with my wife and the same thing happened to me so I totally agree if you if you have zero expectations and you're just after an experience oftentimes you can create some of your best images well I know our um, our guests that were invited by their mentors <laughs> have questions for the group so I wanted to maybe start with Carolyn what questions would you like to ask of the group and who would you like to have answer them um, sure. Uh, so any, to anybody who wants to answer, um, as far more seasoned photographers, um, how has your photography changed over time? And what is it that you are most proud of with your photography today? David? Um, well, I, I can, <laughs> this is a, this is a good one. Um, I remember when I first started out with my photography, I used to love to shoot the coast. Here it is, you know, 10, 11 years later. And I don't even particularly like shooting the coast anymore, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> but um, one of the things that I that I that I enjoy about my work is just the diversity. Going from these big wide scenes to now it's small, medium, tight, wide. It's just it's all over the place. There's no rhyme and reason on how I shoot. It's just what I feel. I shoot how the light tells me to shoot. And if I'm feeling a certain way, that's how I'll shoot. Um, and I feel like I've become more productive that way. Um, my expectations when I go out, and Carolyn, you know this, I, I have none. I always go in, when I take my camera out, this image is going to be horrible. And if it comes out, great. If it doesn't, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, I'm out there, I'm seeing different stuff, and I'm just enjoying the outdoors. And I think as time goes on, that's 
that thought process has continued to grow. It's continued to, to be the same and, and building on top of that. So yeah, that's where I'm at. David, can I ask you a, a follow-up question to that? What would you, what would be the most thing that you would attribute to that shift in how you see photography? Because I feel like a lot of people aren't there yet, but would like to be there, but don't really know how to be there. The risk taken. It, it was just, you know, I just got bored one day and the way, the way I am, I get bored really easy and I just needed to do something else. It's a perfect example with the drone. When I first got that drone, I, and Sarah, you can, <laughs> you remember when I first got it, you know, I was all geeked up and all excited and, you know, just the possibilities that I just, you know, I thought were out there. Um, it was just something different. It was just a whole new thought process, a, a new way of shooting and a new way of looking at the landscape. When, once I threw that drone up and I saw different stuff, I was like, wow, this is something that I can, I can continue to do and continue to grow with. But it just goes back to what I was saying earlier. You just have to be willing to take that risk and just try something different. You may like it. You may not. Who knows? But um, just try it. See what happens. Uh, what about for you, Eric? For me, the main thing is instead of trying to like instead of hoping for certain conditions or certain lighting in a certain place or a certain scene, like I just, now I just go places that I have a relationship with or that I want to build a relationship with. And I just work with whatever lighting or conditions are happening or are not happening at that time. And I just try to make the best of them. And it sounds like that's kind of a common theme with all of us that have been doing this for a while. That's kind of the point that we all come to, like instead of being confined by the conditions and lighting, it's more like we have learned how to adapt to them and kind of react to what's going on instead of trying to make things happen, which is impossible. Colleen. Yeah, sort of to build on that, and Matt, to your question about how how do we do this, um, one of the things that I like to do is ask myself, what else is it? So I've I started off in documentary. I started in documentary photography. I started off as, you know, the iconic shooter like everybody else, and I'm sort of in the space that we've been talking about, the more creative space, the expressive space. And so what ha- what helps me is I ask myself, what else is it? And that pulls the internal experiences and the knowledge and the ideas and the inspiration that I've collected over time out into my photography so it's um to give put it like more into context um if you were a kid and you looked up at this at the clouds um and you said oh my gosh look it's snoopy or look a dinosaur (laughs) um that's called pareidolia and it's our brains trying to make um order out of the chaos that we see in our world and what happens is when we look at like a rock or we look at a landscape scene or we look at sand or we look at bubbles or we look at the coast whatever if we can ask ourselves what else is it um yeah literally it's still rock and sand and things like that i mean literally but um we're going to be able to connect with it in a much more unique way um because everybody's brains and everybody's experiences and backgrounds and all of that they're all different and so we can we can bring ourselves into the landscape and connect with it in a unique way i just i I like to play what else is it that's that's how i get it how i do it i love that um that's awesome michael Oh yeah, just as far as the evolution of of your work and or of my work and the things I've been the most you know proud of and and passionate about, it's it kind of um, 
when I think of the things I've been the most proud of just over the years, you know, the things that have shifted is, is just definitely going back to what others have mentioned about risk taking and risk taking is also, you know, beyond just shooting that kind of work. It's also about releasing that kind of work and letting others know about, um, those kind of riskier shots that you take. And to be honest, I think early on with, with taking work that seems a little odd, uh, I've been almost scared or hesitant to release that kind of stuff, especially when people know you for a certain thing and then you kind of just completely switch it up. Um, you know, you're not entirely sure how somebody's going to take that, that piece of work that you create. And oftentimes I find that, um, when you do take those risks, that's, that's when people, it kind of surprises you when people really connect with that work even more than some of the other stuff you've been releasing. Uh, and yeah, I mean, sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't, but really taking those risks has been, has given the biggest reward and, um, given me some of my, my favorite pieces, whether it be video or photo. Awesome. Well, Shifting gears a little, Gareth, I'm curious, what questions do you have for the panel? Yeah, sure. Um, so this isn't to anyone who wants to answer it, but uh, I myself find when I'm working on a photo in uh, post, when is the photo actually done and I'm happy with it? I know working with Eric, I sent him <laughs> a lot of my photos and he, he'll tell me if they're trash or not. Um, but, yeah, I just want to know how you guys deal with that and uh, what when you feel like your photo is finished to be uploaded into a portfolio image? David? My process is I let it sit. I, I always let the images sit. Uh, sometimes I let it sit for too long. But I always like to ask myself, what else more could I do? Or what else can I take away from this? Or, you know, is this where I want my vision to be for this particular image? I let it sit. And, you know, I always find when I let it sit, I always end up coming back to it and making some adjustments and doing like some revisions on the image. And I end up liking it a lot better as to where if I just process it all at one time and just say, bam, it's done. I always end up finding something that I don't like. And then, you know, it's already put out there. So, and in terms of it being a a portfolio image or not, um, again, it just all depends on how, you know, what I feel, what I'm trying to, um, what I'm trying to get across with the image. Again, some images aren't, you know, portfolio worthy for me, but then there's others that, you know, that I have a connection to that I really like and I really enjoy that, you know, I would like to put out there to the public to see. Uh, what about for you, Sarah? Yeah, for me, I've, I've just gone through this process of completely redoing my portfolios and our website. And it has been such an eye-opening experience about my creative process and how much things have changed over the last couple of years. So I think that there's the short term, which I think the examples given so far, like where you revisit it immediately, revisit it in a couple of days, make the decision at that point, if it's ready to share in the short term. But for me, the whole experience of learning to process photos and then developing a cohesive portfolio has been a 10 year process and that it's changed so dramatically over time. And I, I think I've had to give myself permission to say the old me isn't the current me and that some of my previous favorites and the processing that I processing steps and look that I had with those photos 
is no longer what I want my work to look like. And that letting go of who I used to be is a necessary process, a necessary part of the process to get who I am today. And that that continuum and evolution is a really important lesson learned for me uh, that what I thought were final photos actually aren't final photos and that revisiting them and revising my work has really helped me develop a much more cohesive look to my photography. So I've really started seeing it as like, here's when I'm ready to present a photo for the first time, but then letting things sit over time and then modifying individual photos so that they fit in better with my evolving body of work um, has been probably one of my most important kind of evolution type experiences over the last year or so. Yeah. I just built a new website myself and uh, I would say 40% of my old website was photos of Colorado Springs. And now I only have four photos of Colorado Springs on my website. It's that process is painful, but it's, it's eye opening. (laughs) It is painful, (laughs) but yeah, it was, it's, I think it's, it's part of continuing to evolve as a photographer and, Investing that time is real is time really well spent, especially if it helps lead to a more co- cohesive portfolio that really feels like who you are as a photographer right now. Right. So that it it is good a good experience in the long term. Yeah, and it's worthwhile. Yeah. What about for you, Alex? Um, just building on what Sarah said, I am continually curating my own portfolio. So what is a portfolio image when I release it may not be years down the line. And that's dependent on if I've moved beyond that kind of shot or if I find something about it that I really don't like later, or if I make something that's in that same vein, but a lot better then that'll end up replacing it in the portfolio. But I'm never seeing it as like a final thing. Like Sarah was saying, Um, I go back and delete old shots all the time. Like if you look at my website, I've got, the first uh, three years I was shooting nature photography all in one gallery because there are so few photos I like now from that time. And then like the next six years, I feel I have a lot more like to separate by year. Um, And organizing it by year, the way that I do on my website has helped me to both distinguish my current self from my past self, like Sarah was saying, but also maintain some of those old photos that I know a lot of people like or that might sell well because you can see that it was taken in 2011 or something. And this is what I'm doing in 2019. So it's not, I don't feel like they're mixed together and, and sending a mixed signal, but at the same time, I do want to remove ones that I'm just really not connecting with anymore or that I really dislike. And as far as getting to the point of releasing them now, my process has been to um, just make rough drafts as I'm shooting. Like while I'm out on a trip, I'll just every couple days, like just process the photos that I was thinking about while I was shooting, just anything that was important to me while I was shooting, I'll just do a quick five minute process on it and just look at it for the next month or whenever, whenever I actually get around to processing them two months, I'll look at it regularly for that whole time. And over that time, I'll find things that I want to change about the photo or I'll realize it's not working for me and I shouldn't include that. Um, but I think it just takes fresh eyes and you can't even do it in a matter of days. I don't think it takes a balance between like distance from the work so that you can see it objectively. Cause when you first take a photo, it's uh, you're more emotionally attached to it. This is fresh. This is new. Look how exciting this is. And then as you get some time, you can see it more objectively and say, okay, maybe that's not as good as I thought it was. But I find for me, if I get too far away from the initial 
uh, time that I captured it, if I say come back a year later, I feel completely disconnected from the photo because the experience isn't fresh in my mind anymore. So I try to strike a balance between, you know, processing fairly soon, like within a month or two after I shoot the photos, but also giving myself enough time that I can see it objectively and determine whether it is a portfolio image. But with that said, it's always subject to change and I could just go back and delete it at any time if I decide I don't like it. So <laughs> uh, what about for you, Eric? Yeah, for me, every time I go on my website and I look through my portfolio, I'm always just like overwhelmed. And I'm, I just always think like, wow, I have way too many images. So like every two weeks I go through my website and I try to curate. I'm always trying to get rid of stuff because in my opinion, less is more. And I just... I don't like to have any redundant images or anything that feels too similar to one another. And it's just, I don't like really big portfolios because it's really hard to find images and you have to sift through them and everything. And then the other thing is when I get home from a trip and I process my images, I like to release them in galleries. So a lot of times I'll process an image and it will be done, but it won't be ready to release because I don't have the rest of the accompanying images yet in order to tell the story of the place or the mm. season that I am wanting to do. So I let images sit and marinate, like David was saying, for you know two months, at least maybe three months. I mean, I have some that are over a year old now that I still haven't released because I'm just waiting for other images to come along that will complete those galleries. But I like to put them through like a small test of time because sometimes I'll like it. And then as time goes by, I get bored of it or it's just not as strong or yeah, it just doesn't like withstand the test of time. And some things still get through that uh, kind of filtering process that I have and I'll release it. And then like two days later after I release a gallery, I'll delete like three or four images from it because it's just, I just get tired of them. Uh, what about for you, Michael? Yeah, so I'm kind of the same way as as Eric and David, even, even to the point where it's definitely, the images are definitely sitting for way, way too long. Like for example, the, I think the last time-lapse piece I put out that also had an image series with it, uh, was from New York. And I think I started on that in 2016 and, uh, took me this long to, you know, put out the time-lapse and put out the, the image gallery with it. But you know what? I, sometimes for me, at least I, I just, I'm I'm never going to put anything out until I feel it's completely done and and the feeling is there, the emotion is there. Um and sometimes that does take years. I mean there's there's a few projects that I have that that I've been working on, you know, for years and years and years and I I just don't know when that stuff is going to be done. Uh as far as like just single images though, I think, you know, beyond just knowing when an image is done technical wise, like, okay, is there anything glaring that doesn't work color wise? Or is there anything that just seems off with the technicals and, and the way the image visually looks? It's really, does the image feel right? You know, I mean, does the image have that emotion that you were trying to show when you captured the photograph and, and does it feel right? And does it flow when you, when you're, you know, looking at it and yeah, coming, editing, coming back to it later, maybe going through reprocessing it, coming back to it even later. I mean, it, the process can take a long time. But I think really what it comes down to is, does the image feel right when you are uh, are looking at it? And if it does, then I think the image is done. Yeah, right on. Well, what about you, Brent? I know you have some questions that, that you would like to ask. Uh, why don't you fire off one of your questions and identify someone to answer? Sure. I was going to ask... Uh, 
looking back on your best photographs, however you might define that, is there a state of mind that was common throughout all of them while actually taking the photograph? Happy to hear from anyone. I was thinking uh, Sarah might be a good person to hear from to start. Yeah, I th- I think that fascination. Like when I'm out in nature, sometimes I'm just so giddy and excited about just seeing little patterns or the fact that the light is amazing or that I'm just in this place that was really inspiring to me. So I I think when I think about the the time when I'm most productive and I feel like I'm most successful, it's when I do feel that feeling of fascination and awe with nature. Oh, Alex, go for it. Alex, I was first. just going to say, I'm looking at my, I keep a favorites gallery just because I like to keep stock of my own work. So looking through it right now, I can say that most of my favorite images were not anything that I preconceived. Mm. I mean, they're all things that I just happened to find. And a lot of them are images that I was there alone for. Just going back to feeling like it's really mine and like I saw this little slice of the world that no one else did. I don't know why I have value in that, but those are my favorites. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way where it and and this goes back to what we were talking about before with just kind of being out not having any expectations. I mean, really, the, those are my favorite images or or pieces. The, the times where there hasn't been that expectation. I haven't been trying to get a photo. I just kind of stumble upon a scene that, that really interests me or some sort of just crazy moment that, that just kind of happens. And I think all, all those times, it was really just about being out and having fun. Yeah, so I'm, I'm definitely in the same vein. Um, I... I'm a full-time photographer. Um, I actually could care less if I make an image. Um, if I don't make a photograph when I'm out and about, I, it I it doesn't matter. Guy and I are friends, and Guy Tall and I are friends, and we, we banter. While we disagree maybe on the exact percentage, we both agree that philosophically, by the time you've snapped the shutter and, and processed the image, the value of that photograph has already been achieved. And so it's all about that experience in, in, in nature for me. I completely agree with that. We, we disagree on the percentage mainly because um, I'm a photographer because I want, I want to help people get outside. And, and so my, my value might be a little bit less than his, but um, the point is, is that it's really about the experience. And, and I, you know, I wanted to, I was going to chime in earlier, but I, I've been chiming a lot, but um, I want to emphasize that nobody actually cares if we make an image. And I know that I, that may be, I don't mean it discouraging to be discouraging. I mean it to be freeing, like no, nobody cares. And so we should be making art that excites us and inspires us. And it's the result of a meaningful experience. And that's, that's where the joy, at least for photography for me is, is in that experience. Mm, Well said. Uh, What about for you, Sarah? I just wanted to add one other quick thing. Um, Alex and I were just in, uh, the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone with four other photographer friends. And a couple of us kept on commenting, like the the experience of where we were actually made photography a lot harder. And I think it shows in my results. Uh, the When we were in the Tetons at sunrise, it was like in the negative 20s. There was there were massive snow banks everywhere. Once we got to Yellowstone, you had to snowshoe everywhere you were going. And I fell off one of the boardwalks. 
because there was so much snow on top of them. It's, so it, it felt like I was wearing 50 layers of clothing. And while I came away with some photos that I like, I certainly didn't feel like this experience is helping me make photographs. So I think when I'm at my best, it, it's where I don't feel encumbered by my clothing. I don't feel encumbered by the temperature. I can actually operate my camera without gloves on. So in some ways, that, that feeling of flow and like I'm in the moment, that it, it is when I'm more comfortable. So that experience of being in Yellowstone and T- the Tetons was kind of, I'm overcoming a lot just to be able to get my camera on the tripod. And those kinds of barriers, I do think really impacted my creativity and how I could connect with the landscape in a way that that did present some barriers. Uh, I think it, it was still a lot of fun and I came back with some photos that I liked, but it just felt like I was putting in a lot more effort and that that therefore wasn't the optimal experience. Um, and now we're going, we're about to leave on a trip to a warm place. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to have to have on 50 layers. And I'm just going to be able to be out in nature and feel comfortable. And that I think that that actually will enhance my photography. Uh, what about for you, Alex? Just to add on to what Sarah said, that 20, 25 degree below morning in the Tetons, like I got one photo that morning. Because the second I got out of my truck and took one breath, uh, I fogged up my glasses and had to take them off. And I'm nearsighted. So I had to see the world through my live view for the rest of the morning. (laughs) So that was cool. But yeah, it it definitely gets in the way if you're not enjoying yourself. And I feel the same way when I'm backpacking and like pushing myself too hard. Like in the summer, if I'm at high elevation in the mountains, like I hardly make any photos when I backpack in the mountains. And I'm considering just not bringing my camera anymore because it should be more about the experience there. I just don't feel like I am in a state to make good photos. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) Well, Nick, why don't you um, ask your question and throw it out there uh, for for who needs to answer? I had some great questions about uh, different inspiration, some really good stuff came back. I loved the botany answer. That was really cool, really connects you with the space. Uh, My question is kind of pertaining to social. Uh, I made the decision to get off social last fall completely disabled my accounts and uh, it's been really big hit on the business so i'm kind of asking you what's your guys' little bit of the social philosophy this is open to everyone and then also what's you know without revealing the all the secrets what's been a good way to connect has it been through like photo contests or other things for you guys that are kind of outside of the traditional realms of social media I can give one really quick example. Uh, on Twitter, I've started following a lot of British photographers, and it's been a, an interesting window into a completely different landscape photography community. And I think it's been refreshing. So I I also have pulled back a lot from Facebook and Instagram and some of the other typical social media platforms just because I need my own mental space. But I still like looking at photos from people who I'm not familiar with necessarily are doing work that's totally different than what I'm used to seeing. And by just changing the geography of some of the people that I follow, it's just been a window into a completely different world. And I think that 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 can be inspiring and energizing and exciting just to see how other people, uh, how people in a different physical location approach landscape photography so differently, like how they talk about their work, the way they are as a community, the types of subjects that they photograph, the way they present their photos. It's just so different than what we see here in the United States. And I think that little window has been kind of refreshing for me. Uh, Eric? Yeah, I try to uh, 
use my cell phone as little as possible. So I, I just kind of post and run like on Instagram or Facebook, I try not to spend more than like 10 minutes a day in social media. If that, uh, some days I try not to go on, go on at all. I don't post every day or anything. I don't know if you can completely drop it, but since I've been using it a lot less, I haven't really noticed any slowing down in business or in my following building or anything like that. I think if you drop it completely, it might be kind of tough, but I don't think you're completely reliant on it. Like you don't have to feel like you need to post every single day. And I think that's actually kind of detrimental because it gets to a point where people want to see less of you. And I think it's really important to post less than you should, if anything, so that people want to see more of you. And there's kind of a mystery around, I don't know, like you're not so predictable and people aren't like, oh, there's going to be a new photo by so-and-so today and tomorrow and the next day. It's more like a surprise when you see a new shot from this person, which I think is a lot better. So I don't know if you can drop it completely or if I'd recommend that, but using it a lot less definitely doesn't hurt. And if anything, it can be a positive thing. Another thing is I've been entering like art fairs and like art shows and stuff locally here in Utah. Not necessarily because I'm trying to sell prints at them and like make money off of it, but more just to have kind of a face-to-face presence in my own community. And that has actually gotten me a lot of workshop clients and uh, I've gotten a lot of business that way. So that's also something that's kind of fun. And that's something I prefer more than just posting images and having arguments and responding to comments from people that I don't even really know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what, What about for you, Colleen? Yeah, I, I started off with uh, art shows back in, uh, oh gosh, 2003, and that was an excellent way to establish personal connections. And I think for me and my business, um, social media is a, is a necessary evil. I'm, I'm certainly not a maven at it. Um, and I, I'm like, Eric, I, I just sort of dabble in it and then I, I look around and I snoop and then I, I get off of it relatively fast. But there's a couple of other ways. I, I still value that personal connection that I, I established with the art shows. So um, one of my favorite things to do is go out and do presentations at like camera clubs, like being in front of the audience that I need to reach just in a different way. And for me, it's a much more personal way. Of course, the workshops, um, you know, I send out newsletters, I have a blog that I sometimes update and I, just sharing stories on there. I, I feel like Social media is sort of, it's supposed to bring us closer together, but yet it's its pushing us farther away as, as human interaction gets less and less. And so for me, I'm, I'm still trying to hang on to that personal attention, that personal inter- engagement um, that we had well before social media um, came onto the scene. Hmm. Well, I wanted to switch uh, the question on to our visitors, uh, Carolyn and Brent and Nick and Gareth. So my, my question for you guys, which hopefully will benefit listeners and also the other attendees is, what do you look for in a workshop leader? Brent? For me, the most important thing is uh, teaching how to be creative rather than pointing out shots, uh, talking more about the thought process and the mindset of, of making your own unique imagery. On top of that, I guess... Being really fun <laughs> helps a lot. <laughs> uh, maybe along the lines of like, you know, Sarah talking about being comfortable, just like me being comfortable by having fun uh, 
helps a lot as well. Okay. And what about for you, Gareth? Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, comfort. I think um, I haven't been on a workshop before, but I'm joining Eric next month in Patagonia, which should be good. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, comfort. I mean, I've been working with Eric for probably a year or a couple of years now, just online, some Skype sessions. And look, I trust him and um, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot out of it. And finally meeting him will be good as well. But also as well with his workshops, I noticed is the sizes of them are a lot smaller than some of the other ones I've seen. I think he's one that I'm going on is maximum three people. So um, that's what drew me to really get on board with that. I like it. What about for you, Nick? Um, so it's a, it, it, for me, it was a little different, I guess, as well. I didn't want somebody to inflate my ego and tell me how great my shots were. I didn't want him to tell me I'm complete crap and I should throw my camera in the trash. Um, but I did want uh, a, some real kind of really, really specific criticism and suggestions, um, which were really, really kind of key. And what I, I've done most of my work with Eric, but he did a really good job of getting me to see things differently. Um, not like this shot's totally horrible, but like this shot has room for improvement, et cetera, um, which was good. And then the other thing I really actually enjoyed is it wasn't about ego inflation for him. And even I've, I've uh, had some good interactions with Josh over the years, both at photo pills camps and just in being over in the area. And, um, it's also, it's less about their work. Well, let me show you this picture in my portfolio or something else and more actually focused on your portfolio and not trying to inflate their egos. And so that's been a, a key thing. And to highlight what Gareth said is the smaller workshops are certainly there's so much value in having that, you know, much smaller setting uh, versus the bigger, more commercialized. So even if you're going to pay a little bit more, you're going to get a lot. I, I feel like you're going to get a lot more out of the smaller workshops. Mm -hmm. And Carolyn, did you want to chime in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I was first looking at workshops for me, it was um, looking at the photographer and their shooting style to see if I felt there would be a compatibility with um, what I like to do. Um, location for me, it was a big driver too. Um, personality echoing what everybody else said, like you've really got to feel comfortable with the person that you can ask any question in the world. Like every question is a good question. Um, uh, also echoing the, the concept of, you know, really good constructive criticism because you're really just not going to get better. Um, if you don't have that constructive criticism, um, and then I would say specifically, um, you know, Dave and I have shot a lot together. And I think what's just so great about David is as a mentor, I feel like he really enables me to be me. Um, so even though he's the teacher, you know, I feel like it's still my style. And But he's enabling me to be better at what it is um, that that is sort of me kind of thing. So as a teacher, I think he's been phenomenal um, in that respect. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I wanted... To shift gears a little bit, there's a topic that a really good friend of mine wants us to talk about, and I know both Sarah and Eric and a few, probably Alex as well, are interested in this topic, and I'm just going to dive in. So uh, our good friend Eric Stensland has a question for us, and uh, he says, in the early history of photography, photographers played a vital role in the preservation of wild lands. This continued to a small degree over the last century, but more recently has been forgotten. Do you think we have a role to play in this arena today? If yes, what should it look like and how do we go about retaking that role? Uh, let's start with you, Sarah. I think that the that yes, first, we as nature photographers absolutely have a role in helping preserve the wild and natural places that we visit. 
uh, we wouldn't be able to photograph in, at least in the United States, unless we had public lands as nature photographers. So preserving and protecting those places is absolutely essential. And I feel like a lot of us on this discussion tonight, we all have large audiences and that it's part of our responsibility to help educate people about best practices when it comes to conservation and just being good stewards. Uh, for me, uh, and this is not an original idea at all, but it's something that I've learned from others and have come to practice and I think is the most simple and essential lesson around this topic is that nature comes first. So whenever you're, whenever a photographer is out in the field, making the decision through the filter of nature comes first, I think can help in making good decisions about your behavior and the, the model that you're presenting to the people around you. So if you're in a place where you're trampling on moss and you're leaving tracks behind you, that's not practicing the practice of nature comes first. So really thinking like if I'm damaging a place with my photography, I probably should be changing my behavior. And uh, when I present my photos, I should use it as an opportunity to educate people about stewardship practices. Uh, I think a lot of people who do things, maybe present photos on social media, say a tent set up right by the edge of a lake, don't know that that's against basic leave no trace practices. Um, and if, if we could be positive and educate people about how to conserve our special places uh, with our vo using our voices and our platforms, we could make a dent in the, the issues that we're seeing facing our public lands. So I think that's the, the main thing that I'll, I'll uh, conclude my comments with is just think through the filter when you're out in the field of nature comes first. When you're presenting your photos, thinking through how other people are seeing your actions and how they might replicate them or not replicate them. Um, and then using your platform to educate people about this issue in a positive and encouraging way. Wow, nature first. That's a, that's an interesting name. <laughs> yeah. It is an interesting name, isn't it? <laughs> uh, more to come on that. <laughs> more coming. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you laid out some solid <laughs> principles there. I did. <laughs> Maybe seven of yeah, them. Yeah, I'm just going to go, go ahead, Eric. Okay, yeah, I'm just going to continue on that idea. And actually jumping back to the very first question you asked us, I don't know how like this slipped my mind, but another big change I see in the landscape photography community is kind of the blatant disrespect and the irreverence that so many people seem to have towards nature where they're putting their photographs or... Uh, their persona that they want to create and display on social media before the well-being of the places that they visit. And to me, that's, first of all, it's like depressing. But then second of all, it's also mind-boggling because it just is so confusing for me to see that because I read the autobiography of Sebastião Salgado a while ago. And one of the things that impacted me the most that he said, and this is a guy that's been shooting for like 70 years, he said... Uh, we should love the things that we're photographing or else we're not going to be able to create a compelling photograph. And the whole reason I am doing landscape photography isn't because I love photography or I love Instagram or anything like that. It's because I love landscapes. I love nature and photography is just the means that I have. It's just the tool that I, for some reason, know how to use the best in order to portray the value and the beauty of nature in its unaltered state so that hopefully other people can, have a reverence for it and a respect for it and we can all take care of it better. 
So it's just crazy that so many people, they're not showing that kind of reverence and they're not showing a good example either of how these places should be treated and how they should be taken care of. Yeah, Sarah hit it. Sarah hit it right on the hair though. She, I mean, her views were spot on. You know, I think also as as landscape photographers, we have to have some type of integrity. And, you know, whether it comes down to how we display our images online, location names, you know, Eric brought it up about personality types, you know, workshops, going to locations and you bring in 10, 12 people to, you know, locations that probably can't handle that. It's a, it's a bigger picture. And I think we all got to look at that bigger picture and what we do and how we share our images and how we talk about the work. Yeah. What about for you, Alex? Uh, just something to add on what Eric said, uh, the quote from Sebastio Salgado about loving what you photograph. It should be nature first, like you should love what you're photographing. But also as an added benefit, I think if you're looking to improve your work and you love what you're photographing, then you're going to make better photos of it rather than just showing up and using a place for the shot that you think you're supposed to get there. If you actually love it, your photos will be better too. So it's, it's helpful even in terms of improving your photography to care about the nature. Hmm. That's a good point. I hadn't Amen, brother. thought about it that way. That's a great point. All right. Well, another question that actually, I think, uh, I think Josh Cripps actually came up with this question before he left and it's a, uh, where do you guys feel the weakest in your photography? And I guess maybe a twist to that is what are some ways for you to address those weaknesses? And I'm going to start with Michael Shanebloom just because he hasn't talked in a while. No, but, and to that last question, I mean, everyone kind of hit the nail on the head. I, I don't know if I had much I could really add. Just getting people to really appreciate and respect nature is, is huge. <sighs> weakest? I think... I don't know. I think sometimes I doubt myself Mm. a lot. You know, Uh, I think we all go through those creative struggles of maybe not feeling like your work is very good or, you know, not having that sort of confidence. I think I've struggled with that probably my entire time taking photos from when I was a little kid up until now. So, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of a confidence thing and sometimes that will restrict me from maybe doing some of the things that, that I want to do. And so, yeah, that would probably be my biggest weakness that I'm constantly, you know, working out and trying to work on. I'm so glad to hear, hear you say that. Cause I feel like I personally struggle with that. I know a lot of other people do too. It's kind of that the imposter syndrome thing a little bit. And it's uh, for me, it's, I wonder if, that's why so many of us jump to social media because we want that validation that I mean, am I, is this, is my photography even any good or, you know what I mean? Mm, it's bittersweet, right? Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think everyone likes to get compliments on their work, right? I mean, people want others to enjoy uh, their work. I mean, I, I don't think, I don't think there's a single person that doesn't enjoy when they get complimented on, on some of the art that they're putting all that, that work into, but yeah, maybe definitely a little bit of it. I mean, I think, yeah, you know, what's the funny thing about social media. This is a little bit off topic and I'm not going to, I'm not going to ramble too long, but I, I got on social media just to share with my friends and family. And then it kind of spun out of control. I think I, I can't remember. I think it was like around 2010 or something like that. And it was definitely something for me. I mean, I, I definitely struggled with, kind of worrying about what other people thought 
about my work. And that was a huge roadblock in, in creativity. And finally, you know, a few years later when I freed myself from that and I was just like, no, I'm just going to create whatever I want to create just like I did before social media. And if people like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't, it's, you know, I'm still going to be happy creating art. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I love to hear that because honestly, I feel like if, if you tell yourself that it, it frees you up to, to, to take photos that are for you. And oftentimes I find that with a lot of people that I talk to, that's those, that's some of their best images. I know Alex, you and I have had that conversation in the past that some of your, your best photography came out of, you know, you just taking pictures that you want to take that have no other motivation whatsoever. Exactly. Anyone else, Alex? Uh, yeah. I just wanted to add that I think I'm weakest at waking up for sunrises. I'm notoriously bad at that. Anyone who's spent time with me anywhere knows that I'm just giving up half of my opportunities for, for the edge of day. Uh, it's terrible. And then, and then you have something like Yellowstone or the Tetons, uh, that trip I just had with Sarah, where it's, it's cold and you have to put on 50 layers. I'm like, eh, no, fuck that. And uh, I'll get some photos in the middle of the day or at the end of the day. There's there's always the rest of the day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been awesome, you guys. Thanks so much for taking your evening to to make this an awesome 100th episode of, of the podcast. And uh, keep up the good work. And uh, I, I love to see what you guys are going to come up with next. You know what, Matt? Thank you for taking 100 of your evenings <laughs> to record 100 episodes. That's a lot of work. Yeah, congratulations, Matt. This is a huge accomplishment to get to 100 episodes, especially when you have a full-time job and a family and you photograph and you do a, a ton of hiking. So this is a big accomplishment for you. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Yeah, there's a couple of things I want to add. Um, first of all, you know, thanks for the whole to the whole panel, Alex, uh, Shamelum, Crips, Colleen, Sarah, all you guys are awesome. Um, pretty much met all of you guys and I love all you guys to death. You guys are great. Um, good inspirations to me and continue to keep up the good work. Uh, Matt, man, a hundred episodes. That's pretty wild. Um, but I did have a question for you. Where do you see the podcast going in the future? I mean, you've done a hundred, you've gotten all the big names and whatever else what's what's next oh man that's a that's a great question uh david uh well i definitely feel like the podcast has been a great platform uh not only for uh the benefit of listeners to kind of hear different perspectives from different photographers but also uh i wouldn't i would be lying if i didn't say that the podcast is kind of my secret way to gain information from lots of really fantastic people and photographers. So um, I guess it comes out <laughs> the motivation behind it all. That's, right. that's, that's a secret. My secret plot has been revealed, but no, I feel like, I don't know. My whole intention behind the podcast has been that it's, it's a, it's a community effort, right? It's, it's a benefit to, and a benefit for the photography community. And I really want to try to keep within the spirits of that. And so as the community grows or as the community shifts, I want the podcast to hopefully represent uh, what the community is looking for in terms of information or discussion. Um, and I also, I don't know, I feel like it's a good platform for us all to talk about what we're seeing in terms of the important topics and the important issues um, and really try to push forward 
uh, ideas that we think are important and critical in terms of our of our craft. So I don't know if that answers your question, David, but that's kind of my vision for the podcast. And, you know, obviously I'd love for it to be something that I could do full time and, uh, you know, travel and interview people in person and do go to conferences and meet people and do live podcasts all over the world. But obviously that's not possible without support on Patreon or if maybe I win the lottery or something like that. But for now, we'll stick to Zencaster. <laughs> well, yeah, just keep it up. You're doing a great job. And I know everybody's enjoying the podcast. So just keep doing what you're doing, man. It's great. Well, and obviously, thanks, man. And obviously, I can't, I can't do the podcast without people like you guys uh, who are willing to actually come on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, you know, I can't do it without Alex, obviously, <laughs> but you know, without, without, without guests, the podcast is just me rambling. And there are podcasts like that where people just get on and ramble to themselves. But what were you going to say, Alex? Oh, I was just going to say, um, you should do more episodes with multiple guests because I like the flow of the conversation when people play off of each other and it's, it feels really natural when you just start having a conversation as opposed it to does. like a list of questions. Right. You know? Yeah, it does. I, I, I agree with Alex. Uh, the flow here was, was awesome. Uh, I was a little hesitant when, you know, you, you said the amount of people that were coming on, but the flow was really good. And uh, like Alex said, you just play off of each other and, you know, add in to what everybody else is saying in the conversation. It just, just flows a lot better. I think. Yeah, no, I think it's good. Do you, do you feel like it would be helpful if it was focused on a specific topic or if it was just kind of like, you know, freeform. I, I think it'd be great if you took deeper dives into specific topics. Um, because I feel like if, if you're interviewing one person and you have like 15 different things you want to get to, then you're not really uh, going as deep as they might want on certain things that they have a lot more to say on. So yeah, maybe if there is like yeah. one or two specific things that you really want to get into, it could be more interesting let the conversation go deeper. Cool. Well, thanks, uh, Gareth and, and Carolyn and Brent and uh, Nick for coming on as well. That was really cool to have you guys kind of chime in with your questions. So thank you. Thank you so much. And, and uh, I'm looking forward to releasing this one. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot, everyone. Yeah. This was amazing. Thanks. Great to hang out. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks. We all need thanks. All right. Well, thank you to all of our amazing guests for taking the time to visit with us on the podcast. You guys are awesome. Well, if you've been looking to support the podcast and if you enjoy the work of all of these amazing photographers that just shared their wisdom with us, don't forget until April 30th, many of the guests that were on this episode are offering great discounts on their post-processing tutorials and eBooks for patrons of the podcast. So sign up as soon as possible to get those discounts over on Patreon. It's a win-win-win. The podcast gets support, our amazing guests get support, and you get awesome stuff in return. Alright, well, so next week, be sure to turn in, tune in to episode 101 with former Olympic medalist and landscape photographer Brent Hayden. It's an incredible discussion about how photography can help people find a new purpose, handle stress, and relate with the world in tough times. Well, I want to spend a moment to thank our newest patrons for the podcast, and I also want to extend a special invitation to you as the listener. 
when you sign up to Patreon, please leave a comment in the community boards on Patreon and I will share it with podcast listeners. No one's taken me up on this yet. So seriously, like, tell me about what you want me to promote for you on the podcast. I'll do it. Seriously. Well, thank you to uh, Marco Saprezio for pledging in at the $5 a month level. Thanks to Joel Madsen for also pledging in at the $5 a month level. Thanks to Matthias at Photo Magica for pledging $20 a month. And dude, you're so awesome. I appreciate your help in getting me Hans Strand on the podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you to the incredibly talented Richard Wong for pledging $20 a month. And keep up the awesome work over on Twitter. And thank you to Lon Smith for pledging in at the $5 a month level. Awesome. It's people like you that keep me motivated to work as hard as I do every week to bring you this podcast. Seriously, it it is my goal to make this podcast my full-time job. So I really, really appreciate all the support you guys are providing on Patreon. Thank you so much. If you also want to support the podcast on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash fstop and listen. We can't do the podcast without your support. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Matt Payne Photo or F-Stop and listen. So, uh, yeah, stop on by, leave a comment, and let's engage on the socials. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.